Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Scott Luton, Greg White here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well, Scott. Yeah? Very lovely weekend. How are you? <laughs> Is there ever a bad day in Greg White's neighborhood? Uh... Wow, uh, probably. But, uh, my powers of denial are much greater than any badness. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it uh, looks like you had a great weekend. We had a great weekend here, caught up with a lot of family. Uh, my son, Ben, who's who's playing uh, baseball for the first time in a couple of years, Ooh. he got the game ball over the weekend, Greg. What? Yes. Awesome. And we know he gets his athletic genes from uh, Amanda right. and her <laughs> and uh, her family, maybe. Or really anyone other than me is where he gets his athletic Man, from. It, it's just those little successes as a kid that gets you hooked on the sport. It, it, right. it is really an affirmation that, hey, I can do this, right? That's right. Make a meaningful contribution. That's the message that the game ball delivers. Man, I wish you were there Saturday. You said it a lot better than I could. Uh, I completely agree. Never failed, right? I mean, it's easy to be the smart aleck kid in the back of the room. Right. It's hard to be there in the moment and think of the right thing to say. Oh, you are so right. So right. But hey, today, uh, Greg, it is the Supply Chain Buzz, a live show that comes at you every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time where we talk a little bit of baseball, but a whole lot of news across global business, global supply chain. Uh, and we want to hear from you. Greg and I are going to give you our take and analysis and then some. And we'd love for you all to weigh in in the comments. Like we already have some folks here. We're going to say hello to a few folks in just a minute. But Greg, one other thing. Yeah. If any of our listeners or viewers are out there, maybe you're, you're listening or watching the podcast replay. Hey, consider joining us live on LinkedIn, YouTube, or some other social media channel of your choosing. Again, every Monday, 12 noon, we'd love to hear from you. Wouldn't we, Greg? Yeah, YouTube is my favorite. But I mean, you know, we, we're live on what? Twitter, even Twitch. So you can watch and learn about supply chain while gaming. What is better than that? <laughs> That's right. That is right. We're going to say hello to a few folks. I want to share uh, a couple of resources uh, before we do, Greg, because last week uh, we uh, um, talked about the U.S. Bank mm. Freight Payment Index for Q1 2023, right? You and me and uh, Bobby Holland and Michelle Moore with GAF. And uh, chock full of insights, uh, a couple of key takeaways, and this shouldn't surprise anybody, that all the data and the observations shows a continued soft trucking market. In fact, Greg, first time in three years that we've had quarter over quarter and year over year drops in both shipment volume and spend. Right. Greg, your thoughts? I think that it is a very difficult market to predict right now, but we are nearing an equilibrium point, it feels like. Right. I mean, rates have been going down, 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 except for overall, except for in regions. And I think part of the lesson here is that what is it? People say if you have uh, one foot in an ice bucket and one in boiling water, overall, you're comfortable <laughs> or on average, you're comfortable. Right. right? And, and that's the value and the lack of value of averages. So what I like about that 
U.S. Bank show that we do every quarter is that you get to see what's impacting your particular region or a particular region that you're operating in. Because the realities of the Southeast were dramatically different than a number of the other regions. And it was shocking this time. Yep. So agreed. Really interesting stuff. And we learned just how predictable the market is. You'll have to watch the replay to learn. Yes. Yes. And we're going to be publishing that replay this week, if I'm not mistaken. And better yet, it's free to download their freight payment index. So I'm sure Amanda and Catherine, by the way, thanks for all that y'all do behind the scenes. We'll be uh, publishing the link to that in the chat. Greg, good stuff. I'm already looking forward to the next quarter. All right. So moving right along, let's say hello to a few folks. We've got a bunch of folks here ready to go on a Monday morning or our Monday afternoon for some. Josh Goody, of course, tuned in from Seattle. Happy New Week to everyone. He says, Greg is doing better because the Spurs actually won this weekend. Greg, is that true? I'm not. Oh, yeah. He's talking about Tottenham. I was, I'm was. i sorry. I was thinking, San Antonio, battle. <laughs> yes, they actually won. They're terrible. They're ter- they are completely loaded with talent, including the great, one of the greatest, Harry Kane, who they will probably okay. lose during or after this season. And it's sort of like if you've watched in Ted Lasso, the AFC Richmond gets an incredible player. Okay. Greatest in the history of, of Premier League football, and they still manage to lose games. That's the Tottenham Hotspur story right now. Okay. All right. More more to come in 11. Uh, <laughs> and the traffic report. That's right. But of course, kidding aside, Josh, always great to have you. Uh, Eric's tuned in from Ecuador via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Eric. Uh, Chiquita tuned in from, hey, Savannah, Georgia. Our neighbors. That's right. Uh, especially Greg's neighbor. Yeah. But Chiquita via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today. Brian tuned in from San Diego. Great to see you. Uh, Muhammad. Tuned in via LinkedIn. Muhammad, let's know where you're uh, where you at this morning. David Glover from Southern Minnesota. Do you think Southern Minnesota is as cold as Northern Minnesota, Greg? That's a great question. Uh, in the wintertime, it is every bit as cold. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I've, been, I've been there in the wintertime. So, you know, when I was implementing technology, the sales guys would go yeah. to those northern states in the summertime. And with our sales cycle, it seemed like I was always implementing in the wintertime. Yeah. Ah, okay. All right. Wicked. Well, snowmobiling is fun. <laughs> Over the weekend, uh, a dear friend of mine who, who's a Minnesotan and always long and also a longstanding Twins fan was sharing with me, uh, a big Atlanta Braves fan, the play where um, Ron Gant was pulled off first base. Now, there's still a lot of contention. That was from the 91 World Series. Yeah. Kent Herbeck was a big first baseman. Big. They all <laughs> are. Right. They committed. Yeah. yeah, they sure are, man. They sure are. Well, hey, anyway, uh, great to see you here, uh, David Glover. Uh, Zakia, uh, great to see you here via LinkedIn. If I got your name wrong, my apologies. Let us know uh, phonetically. Uh, it's important to get everybody's name right. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Hey, Greg, old Gene Pledger from Northern Alabama is back with us. Old Gino, how's he yeah. doing, do you think? I bet he's doing well. It's. Does it feel like the weather's broken and we're now going to be in like we're headed towards southern summer? I think so. It felt a little bit like that this weekend, right? When I got Agreed. up at like 5.30 this morning, it was already 70 degrees. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and humid, right? Goodness oh, yeah. gracious. Hey, really quick side note, yes. as Amanda is reminding me, uh, the U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index Analysis, the show we just talked about, publishes Wednesday. Yep. Publishes Wednesday. Um, all right. Lastly, I want to point this out. And hello, Jose and Brian and Kenneth. 
Uh, I want to go back, uh, and Sheldon's here with us. I want to go back to this kind comment from Helmet. Helmet, great to have you here via LinkedIn. Always a pleasure watching the Sapache Now Dream Team, Scott and Greg. Man, really appreciate it. Greg, that's awful kind, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah, thanks, Helmet. All right, folks. Welcome in, everybody. Welcome in, everybody. We're going to uh, share one more resource with you. Actually, about 17 with this next thing, Greg, because our aim this weekend, mm. as we published with that said, our weekly LinkedIn newsletter, we're sharing very practical tools, in this case, six more tools for doing it better, better, faster, stronger. So uh, we're approaching uh, 22,000 subscribers. And Greg, we focused again on practical tools. You see that image behind the graphic? I try to get the garage fact going there. You see that? Yeah. What is it? That's my question. It. I didn't get to read this one. So is it anything <laughs> it or a particular it? That's a great question. Uh, and the titles and the lack of characters you have with these things are always the most challenging. Ooh. It challenges my succinctory muscle. I'm going to make up that word. Ooh, I like that. Um, but it is supply chain management, but also general business, huh. right? Because a lot of times what will allow you, sometimes what will allow you to be a better supply chain manager, uh, supply chain practitioner, oftentimes it's a spillover effect that will make you a better leader and just better in business. Would you agree? Absolutely. I've seen companies, Henry Schein comes immediately to mind. I've seen companies completely transform from a merchandising or product management and sales mm. driven company to a supply chain driven company, wherein the supply chain organization developed a lot of discipline, accountability, and metrics. And all of those other departments, including sales, started to adopt that culture. And it just absolutely transformed the company. And the stock exploded. Thank you very much to the execs at Henry Shine, by the way. <laughs> I bet. What a great, uh, great story. I bet, and there's a lot more to that story. Uh, I bet uh, Greg White. Yeah, it's a great example. And th I mean, they have made it. I'm not even sure they realized it at first that that's what they were doing. But it became very intentional after a time. Okay. All right. Well, um, I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone that have really uh, enjoyed with that said and subscribed to it. We got the link there. That will take you to the most recent edition. And one of the things I like about LinkedIn is that, that makes it really easy to subscribe. You click on the button and then it's delivered to your profile, but also to your email, whatever you signed up to LinkedIn with. Um, all right. So, Greg, yeah. are we ready? We've got a really big story out of the gate. We're starting here mm -hmm. uh, on the supply chain buzz. And it is the story of Shopify, right? Made some really tough decisions here recently, followed by some really big moves. Let me lay these out. And Greg, I can't wait to get your take on here. So after a surprisingly successful first quarter where Shopify beat most analyst predictions, the company announced that it'd be laying off 20% of its workforce. Most of Shopify's physical fulfillment network, as well as its shipping service company, Deliver, with two R's, will largely become part of Flexport and Shopify's warehouse automation firm, Six River Systems, Greg, that you and I have gotten to know really well. Right. Well, that will be sold reportedly to Okado Group, which is a grocery tech company based in the UK. So Greg, would love to get your take on these moves from our friends at Shopify. Yeah, well, the cutting of jobs, get used to it. Mm. Uh, as we all probably are loath to admit, but know in the depths of our heart, companies completely overhired in 2022, expecting that the kind of bull run of commerce after COVID would continue, not seeing clear and apparent um, <laughs> warning signs in the marketplace. Um, so we're going to see a lot more of that. The other is that we're going to start to see some of these companies that have invested in 
internal logistics, divest of those. Shopify is a little bit more challenge or is a little bit more surprising than um, who was the retailer who bought their own logistics thing and recently divested of that. Uh, American Eagle. It was American Eagle. Yeah. Okay. It was them. Okay. Um, that's not surprising because I don't know how they would have monetized that. Right. Mm. Shopify could have monetized it. I think they struggled to do so and they invested way too much. They invested $2.1 billion in deliver and they're effectively getting $1 billion for it. If Flexport is really still worth $8 billion, which it's not, it's probably Mm. half to a third of that. So they're getting somewhere in the hundreds of millions of dollars for an investment that they put $2.1 billion in. It happens. Honestly, I think it was actually a smart decision by Shopify. Mm-hmm. It was just poor execution. Mm-hmm. Um, and the article goes a little bit into that. Um, and then the poor folks at Six River Systems, I'm thinking of you know names I don't want to mention, but all the people we know there who has just an incredible robotics platform for creating efficiencies in the warehouse and elsewhere. Yep. Those poor people have been kind of dragged around because they operated independently with Shopify. Then they were just brought into the fold just recently and now ejected again to be part of Ocado or Ocado or whatever they're called. <laughs> but I think a better fit for Ocado. On the other hand, I like the divestiture of this because remember, maybe you don't remember, but Shopify already owned 7% of Flexport. Right. So it's effectively a captive vendor because this sale should, br- I think they own 13%. I'm sorry. Yeah. This, Hot teens. Yeah. This sale should get them to almost 20% ownership of Flexport yep. and depending on the valuation. So it tightens the bond between those companies. It lets each do respectively what they do most effectively and then to collaborate closely and then maybe in the uh, i love this word scott so i'm going to use it maybe in the future we have a super competitor where they come back together again right because the only hope for at least american companies you know having an alternative to amazon is really shopify right there's alibaba out there i think a lot of companies are loath to do business with a chinese company especially one that's already i think three to five times the size of amazon so um, I think that has been a challenge for them, but I think a, a third alternative out there will be good in the marketplace. Agreed. This will make it more cost effective for all entities. Mm. I love your uh, three minute and now everything folks need to know about what's going on with uh, th- these big moves from Shopify. That was a wonderfully uh, enlightening three minutes. Great. Well, it could be a hundred percent wrong too. Uh, well, <laughs> but I mean, you know, when when this kind of stuff happens, you have to kind of look at the why. Right, mm. the what for and the what next. So that's my take. Thank you for yep. saying that at the top of the show. This is our take, not right. That's right. That's right. And hey, folks, uh, this is our take, uh, Greg's take. We'd love to get yours. Yeah, there are probably other takes out there. Yeah, that's right. Let us know what you think about the moves being made. Uh, we'd love to hear your perspective. Uh, and and hey, we're gonna move on to the next story, but it doesn't mean you can't comment on the first one or the second one or the third one. Whatever, let us know. Um, okay. Or another one. <laughs> or the, yeah, or the one last week or the one last year. Uh, we love, I'll tell you, one of our favorite parts, Greg, we talk about this a lot uh, internally during team meetings and, and everywhere else is the feedback we get from the market, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's insights and takes or whether it's general feedback of, hey, I like this show, I don't like that show, or whatever. Or you're a dummy. Why did you say that? <laughs> right. So, hey, you're channeling kind of, uh, 
Fred Sanford there. Uh, you big, big you big dummy. Oh, it was one of the greatest shows, greatest characters. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Greg, let's hit, um, let's go to our next story here. Cause yeah. we're talking about one of our favorite sectors, one of our favorite parts of industry. And that's the manufacturing industry. In particular, this story here from our friends at Manufacturing Dive is talking about how technology is being used to keep the workforce safe. I love this theme and I love this marriage. And, and you know, some of this stuff, um, we already, you know, shouldn't, won't surprise anybody. Uh, but let me give you a few examples from mm-hmm. this article from Manufacturing Dive. Uh, the automation age, Greg, as it does, it marches on, marches on. Drones and bots in particular are taking over some of the more dangerous tasks at plants. Uh, some of the examples cited here was the inspection of pipelines and other structures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, predictive AI, artificial intelligence, is being applied to optimize maintenance programs, including eliminating some completely preventable heavy maintenance activities, which can oftentimes present uh, some safety risks to the humans that have to perform them, right? Right. AI is also being leveraged to ensure PPE, personal protective equipment, is being worn by the workforce. Uh, as someone that's forgotten their safety glasses and, and hard hats in my, in my journey, I can appreciate that. And then one last thing, I want to touch on lockout, tagout. Critical, longstanding safety procedure used to make sure equipment that's being worked on is not being powered, right? It's, it's being shut off to protect those workers that are in there with their uh, all their digits in there, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen ways that digital approaches are being used more with lockout, tagout to literally save more lives. I mean, I think OSHA, uh, when you look at the, and, and I'll have to pull this data, when you look at all the violations that OSHA cites, lockout, tagout procedures is always a heavy hitter. Hmm. And it should be, Greg, uh, a dear friend of mine, his name's Robert. Robert led a lot of safety programs when I was uh, in and supporting the manufacturing industry, right? Mm-hmm. And one story that he shared and would always get everyone's attention in those OSHA 10-hour workshops, I think uh, I think is what we called them, is the story of a father-son maintenance team, right? And I don't, I'm not sure if this was a manufacturing environment, but um, they were going into a large uh, bathroom, right? Because there there uh, lighting fixtures were out. And so they had cut off the power, right, to the light. And I believe the father was up in the light in this big bathroom and the son has stepped out for a minute. Well, some member of the team didn't realize lighting was being worked on, flipped it on, and unfortunately it killed that father. And do you know who who came and found him? It was his son. So, uh, you know, that's not maybe a, um, a, a widespread thought when it comes to when you think of lockout, tagout, but it is such a universal application, whether it's on the plant floor or in offices, mm-hmm. you know, everyone being on the same page with with uh, the danger, what's what's taking place, and how do we communicate that? Big digital gains can be had in this one area. So, Greg, love to get your thoughts on the manufacturing environment and some of the, you know, uh, the safety gains we're making when it comes to technology. Well, I mean, I think artificial intelligence is really human intelligence that just never forgets. Right. And it and it never cuts corners, as the article talks about when you're doing Mm. repairs. Sometimes you have a tendency to cut corners. You know, it's kind of an always on kind of thing. So once it understands, once AI understands the dangers in, let's say, repairs or certain jobs, it can compensate for that. Right. It can always be on guard for that. It never gets in too much of a hurry to do it. It never. I'm curious how it reminds you to put on your safety goggles. (laughs) <laughs> and, and um right and i think it shocks you frankly i never needed that reminder because i loved wearing a hard hat right? <laughs> being an office guy 
going into the going anywhere where you got to wear a hard hat, I was all uh, with you all over it. Yep. That's the benefit. The real benefit of AI is it's human intelligence that never forgets, never cut, cuts corners, right? Never does the wrong thing unintentionally or intentionally. You know, that it gives us a lot more potential safety. And I think, you know, we've talked about what technology is good for. And that is the dark, dirty, dull, and dangerous. And this particular thing used as a as a safety mechanism just helps assure it even more effectively. And w- and the preemptive nature of what they're talking about, right? Hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna work on this, do this. Or if you run this thing this way, or if even the AI can say, let's run this at this many RPMs, it will never need to be maintained. For instance, yep, right. So. I love that we can get to those sorts of predictive things. And I am thankful that we are, you know, the incoming workforce and our generation are so accepting of technology and not afraid to lose their jobs because of it, you know, because there are some incredible assistance that we can get from technologies that will make our job more satisfying in any case and certainly safer. Well said. And on that last note, safety whether it's with technology or without, the mindset of, hey, it's what could happen, right? And and what are we getting out of let you know playing the percentages? I'm telling you all, that's how really bad things happen. So take a second look. Do a walkthrough of your plant or your facility and with eyes wide open, right, rather than where you typically go, what you're typically addressing. And really think about you know what Mark Preston calls rattlesnakes because they, they may not bite you today but they're going to eventually catch up and bite you. Well, I think I think Sheldon makes a good case here. If you want to show yeah. his yeah, let's do comment. this. It's not just about preventing an accident. It's preventing physical injuries because now they have these skeletal assists, right? That can identify when you're straining a muscle at a certain, you know, to a certain level and assist more with your left arm than your right arm. If you're stronger in one or the other, that sort of thing. And prevent it from that standpoint too. It's not just an accident. It's also yes. kind of repetitive use industry or uh, injuries and straining injuries. And I think um, particularly the drones and um, bots. Yeah. I mean, everybody gets a little bit sad when their drone hits the floor <laughs> and shatters, but uh, nobody's that upset about it. Right. And better right. that the drone do it and more effectively as well. Yep. Right. I can tell you as someone who's crashed a drone into a tree that I was much more happy that it was a drone carrying a camera than a person carrying a camera. Right. Cecil says, as always, great points. Uh, Great to have you, Cecil, via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Uh, And Sheldon, to Greg's point, Sheldon's comment is, I love it, especially those other applications that address issues with physical motion such as unsafe lifting techniques and other unsafe behaviors, such as proper PPE. Well said, Sheldon. And I'll just add to that, uh, my buddy, Mark Preston, who I worked with for uh, quite some time, learned a lot from old Mark. Um, Mark, when he'd walk through plants, I've been through approaching 400. He's been through probably 4,000. He says he would always look for elbows. Because Greg, to your point about reaching, if you see elbows, it means things are closer to you. When you lose those elbows, it means folks are reaching, uh-huh. maybe back injuries and other things. So look for those elbows to Greg's point. I think the beautiful thing too, I mean, let's let's address this. And that is that mm. fewer and fewer people want to do these dangerous jobs. Yeah. So it, it really is a necessity to automate them. Nobody is losing a job in a fulfillment center or a warehouse or a manufacturing facility because of technology, right? 
because we have been talking about this since even during the pandemic, or at least when it was still somewhat of a concern, that people are staying away in droves from these types of jobs. And some of them will never come back. Right. I mean, I think when, even when we think about drones, you have to think about trucking and mm. and, you know, the fact that they never fall asleep at the wheel. And they also, by the way, don't need to sleep. Right. So, so it can be both faster and safer. Yep. Right. And it also alleviates people from having to do jobs that they want. You know, my thought is and I can't remember who it was. Somebody actually affirmed that this is being tested now. That what they'll have is harbor pilots. This is the same, you know, the the equivalent of harbor pilots for towns or cities like Atlanta, where the roads are windy and confusing and traffic is difficult, where a truck just automatically stops outside of a metropolitan area and then a human gets in it. So if somebody wants mm. to be a truck driver, and I think this is more and more the case these days, if someone wants to be a truck driver, they can do it when they're wide awake in their hometown. Right. On streets that they know. And and what an incredible combination of solutions that is to create both better job satisfaction and greater safety. Beautifully said. Uh, And, you know, we don't talk about no one, in my view, just my opinion, talks about safety enough. uh, Here. Uh, And I can't wait to see some of the gains that you're talking about that the article talks about. Yeah. Sheldon, uh, everyone in the chat is talking about. Um, All right. So really quick, uh, two quick announcements. Maybe three. Uh, Leah Luton tuned in from the SBCA in Aiken County, hey, mom. South Carolina. Hello to you, uh, Mom. Love you. Did she send pics in the comments? I'd like to. I'd love to know. Right? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not sure. We'll see. Folks, can uh, let us know if you can send pics. But I am getting pics here. Puppies and kitties. Oh, that's a cute dog. Who doesn't love that? <laughs> hey, and also, <laughs> uh, Greg. Uh, quick announcement opportunities, resources, opportunities to learn, resources, tools, uh, perspective that matters and can help. Uh, that's what we're all about. I want to mm-hmm. share, folks, this opportunity coming up this Thursday, May 11th. Now, most of our listeners they are familiar, undoubtedly, with Ferrison and Paul Noble, maybe even Jim Braun, who knows. But, Greg, we've got a great webinar coming up this Thursday, 12 noon Eastern time, focused on procurement, Right. Yeah. Uh, supply chain, better practices, MRO, tailspin management, vendor managed industry. We're going to be tackling a lot. What do you think is most important about this upcoming live session on Thursday? I think all of these things. So VMI, in case you don't know, is vendor managed inventory. But I think how you can improve your procurement practices with those things. We, I mean, we talked about this so much. It's great to hear mm. from people who are helping companies do it or part of companies that are doing it. But collaboration, you know, that's working more closely with your vendors. And, um, and what was the statement early on in the pandemic? If you, if you haven't been kind to your vendors or your trading partners, it's too late to make friends now. Right. That's right. So that collaboration includes a back and forth between your, your team and, and any trading partners team. And of course, tailspend is all that little stuff that has a tendency to be lost where the where the discipline of procurement tends to get lost um, and vendor managed inventory is the ultimate. It is the ultimate act of trust with your vendor to have them help you determine what you ought to carry. And I think that has been happening um, with collaborative planning, forecasting and replenishment in retail for a lot of years. It takes Mm. a lot of trust, but the benefits are amazing because imagine you have a hundred thousand parts 
to build something and one vendor only has one or two of those parts. You don't care about that. I mean, you can't put enough emphasis on that. Whereas it's their livelihood, this vendor, and it's in their best interest to make sure that you have the appropriate amount at the appropriate time in the appropriate place. So it's a great, I've seen it work. I love it. I think more companies should use VMI and um, I think it'll be a great, great portion of the discussion. Agreed. Well said. I'm glad, I'm glad I asked you there. Uh, join us this Thursday, 12 noon Eastern time. It's not only going to be Verison. They're bringing uh, Eric Wilk with Worth Industry, really big organization doing some really cool things across industry. So join us 12 noon Eastern time to link. We try to make it really easy. Drop the link right there in the chat. So you're one click away. All right. And as Josh pointed out, going back to automation, uh, Josh says, hey, Tesla posted a video of road tests on their new semi a few weeks ago. Love to see that. Good looking too. Really? Yeah. It's like super futuristic. It's got this sort of drop nose thing. And Okay. You know, uh, speaking of, yes. um, I was talking to a couple folks. You know, I don't know about you, Greg, but um, you know, all the new plants breaking around here in Georgia, big commitments, tens, you know, probably twenty thousand jobs in the balance is is um, collectively across the state. I'm getting a lot of questions around Rivian, the Rivian plant. Um, you know, they're breaking ground. There's litigation to try to stop it based on you know upset local residents. We'll see. Uh, of course, a lot of folks have have. Um, there's been no shortage of reporting around. Uh, the financials and some other challenges the company is having. Uh, but yeah. we'll see. Uh, you know, they could be, who knows, in a few years, they could be churning out hundreds of trucks so they can sell and drop some revenue uh, a week. We'll see. Greg, any thoughts around Rivian and all these other EV manufacturers out there that are breaking, seems like breaking ground on every street corner, huh? Yeah. I have a simple thought. Stop whining or you're going to wind up driving Chinese EVs because mm. at the Shanghai Auto Show this year, they showed that they are nearly a decade ahead of any of the wow. Western EV brands or EV producers. So we got to let them get started and we got to get serious about it. Look, electric vehicles have their challenges. I don't like the way the batteries are mined. I don't like that they even that they use these types of batteries. I don't like the consumption of all of the rare earth minerals. And I don't like that, our, that they are powered by largely a coal-fired electric grid. I mean, mm. Let's face it. Electricity is still powered by coal, and all we're doing is taking cars that produce carbon emissions. We're producing a ton of carbon emissions to create these EVs that in their current lifetime, they cannot offset, right? So there are a lot of challenges with EVs, but we have to let progress take its course because, you know, remember, if Henry Ford had given people what he wanted, he would have, he would have developed a faster horse. Right. Not the automobile. What the people wanted. Right. Right. Great. And by the yeah. way, at the same time that he developed the model A, model A, he also built an electric car, which his wife preferred because it was much less noisy. Mm. But that was unfeasible and unacceptable to consumers at that time. So interesting. Let's not go back to like 1903, please. <laughs> <laughs> So let's embrace it and then find ways to address and improve some of that baggage that you mentioned that comes with it, right? God, it may literally be now or never. I mean, when you mm -hmm. look at what's happening in China, they are outlawing ICEs, internal combustion engines, as of July of this year. They have cars on lots that may have to be given away or crushed as brand new vehicles. So the pace with which people are adopting EVs in China is 
far higher than it is in the West, but it is also accelerating in the West. And we have to have effective technology before we hit that inflection point or else we're going to have real troubles. There's a Mm. very real possibility that the car you're driving right now will be worthless in three to five years. 100% worthless. Man. All right. I want to add Russ. So Russ Gold, great to have you here. He says, uh, many studies show that using an EV on a coal grid is less carbon and pollution intensive than using a combustion engine. I haven't seen one of those studies. Love to see that. Yeah. Okay. Well, Russ, great to have you here. Thanks for sharing. And I think he dropped a link. We'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, all right, Greg. Folks, if you're not buckled up already, as we have about a halfway point of the supply chain buzz, you might want to get all arms and legs in the vehicle and buckle, triple buckle up. We'll see. Um, but I want to share uh, a really interesting, whether you like it or not, kind of like EV, whether you like it or not, we got new markets that are just blowing up. And one of those is the cannabis industry, right? Um, so, Greg, I want to walk through this for a second, and then I can't wait to get your take here. Um, so, as reported by CNBC, Delaware became the 22nd state to legalize the recreational use usage of marijuana in April. Um, states such as Florida, Minnesota, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, as who the article cites, as may being uh, the next states to do so. In fact, medical and recreational marijuana sales are predicted to reach close to, Greg, $34 billion by the end of 2023. That's a bunch of money to be made there. So, Greg, um, and, and we're going to have, thanks to Catherine and Amanda, uh, they dropped some uh, some interesting trivia in terms of all the slang names. We'll try to use some of those, uh, the slang names for marijuana out there. But kidding aside, some folks, Greg, may not know of your experience in this industry, right? And a lot of folks may also not know, I'm betting, many of the quirks and the unique uh, aspects related to the cannabis sector. So tell us more there, Greg. Yeah. So uh, let's start with just a little bit of background. So I was on the board of directors of a a technology company that provided technology into the cannabis industry. Good friends with a former technology founder, and she is big in in, uh, growing the cultivation side of the industry. Um, And I'm good friends with a number of investors, um, venture capitalists, and their limited partners, the people who invest in the venture capital fund in in the cannabis industry. and uh, I am also probably the most ironic entrepreneur ever in in the cannabis industry because I'm not necessarily for legalization, but I'm also not against the fiscal opportunity that at one time, I want to be clear, at one time presented itself in the cannabis industry. I think we have to recognize that you don't have to recognize. I have recognized. I'm going to tell you uh. what I think. Okay. So now is it, now it's time to buckle up. I think of the four U's of cannabis, unenlightened, undisciplined, unprofitable, and unscrupulous. So many people are a bit Pollyannish about a number of things in the industry, or they're opportunistic or greedy. Those are the unenlightened. The undisciplined are the masses of terrible, terrible business people. The people who couldn't transition from using their notebook in high school to sell weed into a real <laughs> business. Um, the, the unprofitable nature of this business, virtually no one has made significant money in this industry, not big corporations, constellation brands lost $8 billion. Many other investors have been outright scammed by a number of 
of big, big companies that they invested billions of dollars into. And those people are now in prison in various countries. Mm. Um, even VCs are losing money. And that, if you've ever dealt with a VC, those deals are usually very carefully structured so that the VCs don't lose their money. Something absolutely catastrophic has to happen, and it continues to happen over and over again in this business. And get this, this is how bad the profitability problem is. California, the state of California, is actually lowering taxes on the cannabis industry to help some of these companies make money. That's how bad it is. Wow. So we're going to talk about some of the confiscatory taxes and why governments are all for this later. But um, And then the uh, unscrupulous nature of it, there are delusional people, opportunists, hucksters, and outright straight-up criminals in this industry. Mm. And it's, it is an open secret in the industry that cultivators, dispensaries, tech providers, uh, and uh, government officials, and and the investors talk about. Everyone knows that this that there is an incredible lack of scruples in this industry. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's just it, you know I can't tell you the number of meetings I've been in where I express shock because I I'm naive and and hopeful, <laughs> right? And I always assume noble intent first. Where I'm in that, and they're like, "Remember, you're in the weed industry, right? So you have to." have to start to accept that. Additionally, this is and this is one of the reasons that I'm wishy-washy on whether legalization makes sense. There is is no, and I can't wait to have somebody try to refute this, but it's impossible. There is no <laughs> credible medical evidence of benefit of use of cannabis. There is absolutely really? none. Nothing credible, nothing that has been peer-reviewed, nothing. And part of the problem with profitability is that the state-by-state nature means few economies of scale, which is what limits the profitability and the state-by-state nature of it, uh, of the structure, meaning you can't grow weed in Oregon and sell it in Washington. If you grow weed in Oregon, you have to sell it in Oregon because if you cross state lines, you are breaking federal law. Ah. In fact, if you are growing weed, you are breaking federal law. It's just that the DEA and the FBI have declared that they will not enforce federal law if organizations do not conduct interstate commerce. So Greg, let me just for um, some of us, this is the first time, of course, you and I've had this chat before, but just to clarify. So if, if I'm following you, federal law still opposes everything. However, agents are of the, the usage uh, and the growing of marijuana, but the agencies are essentially refusing to enforce those laws, which is why it's fell to, the state level, right. uh, on a state by state basis, to pass laws uh, that, and that, and that enable this activity uh, and these businesses and these farms and, and the selling all of that to take place. Do, do I follow you right? So so far, let me okay. continue that thoughts because that is right on track. With those state laws are in fact a violation of federal law, right? They do not usurp federal law. Federal law, they could at any time come down on every single state who has a state and every participant in the cannabis industry with federal jur- federal enforcement at any yep. any time because those laws do not usurp federal law. Hmm. So, you know, and you know there's some other dynamics. Those, those hucksters are are either naive or 
or opportunistic. And, and too many folks in the industry are in it just for the big score. They think when, if I own, if I own Colorado, that when federalization happens, somebody's going to have to buy me for a big multiple. Hmm. And that's not a good way to build a business, right? Um, and it's been unsustainable in a lot of cases because it's been so much longer than they thought it was going to take to get to federal approval. So many of these companies have burned through so much capital that the investors have just said, shut it down. Wow. And that's the other thing. We have a dangerous combination in this industry of both naive and greedy investors, right? Um, people who don't understand the economics of a tech business or of a farming business, which by the way, is all the cannabis is. Now, let's just say someone was to legalize wheat. Would anyone want to jump in that business and think that mm. they were going to make a big fortune? <laughs> as a person from kansas i can tell right. you i already know the answer to that uh, so <laughs> what's really happening is the states are it's sort of a cash grab for um for tax revenue because they have these confiscatory tax rates and the way that the tax rates work encourage illegality so in california three of five it, I, this is an old statistic so forgive me if this has gotten worse or better unlikely yep. better in California, three of five dispensaries that display a license are a fake license. Three of five? Because that's right. Three out of five, 60%. Because if you are a legitimate dispensary, you're subject to somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 point something percent tax because of the, the rates that they have on the cultivators and the producers and the converters and sales and excise tax and all this other stuff that. It, you know, is, is basically keeping California afloat right now. So a lot of companies, they can't afford to pay the taxes and pay their people. So they'll operate legally for a while. And then they'll operate in the, we don't call it illegal in the trade anymore. Somebody out there who's in a cannabis industry can probably remember this faster than I can, but I think it's called illicit in the illicit industry, which basically means they go from being a good citizen business person to a straight up drug deal wow. um, from time to time. So that's another challenge. The other is the mm. falsehood, as I mentioned, of the of the health benefits. I am unconvinced that weed is good. Greed, still not sure I'm convinced that's good, but we'll let that for another one. Um, <laughs> look, the thing you have to acknowledge here is that weed is 12 times as strong as it was in the 70s and 80s. Really? There is more credible yeah. evidence of it causing anxiety than of it solving anxiety. Now, remember, if you've probably heard this, Scott, I know you never smoked weed, and of course I didn't. Um, but <laughs> remember people talking about getting the munchies and then getting paranoid? Okay. Paranoid is another euphemism for anxiety, right? Really? Well, I mean, it's it's substantially the same thing. Everyone's out there. Okay. And I think in this day and age, anxiety is how people kind of manifest that. And this mm. is 12, remember, this is paranoia times 12. So there's a significant and traceable reduction of cognition, but this is the upside of the cannabis okay. industry. It is good for the snack industry. It has been very good for Doritos and goldfish <laughs> and, and things like that. Really? Yes. Man. All right. So, Greg, if I may, if, if you're a good, if this is a good pregnant pause for a second. I want to share a couple of comments, Greg. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Let's see here. Sheldon 
says, don't get me started on cannabis. If you can believe it, get this. Jamaica, he says, is importing weed from Canada of all places. He's shaking his head, shaking his head. Love that. I used to know about 40 years ago, an exporter to Jamaica of fine Midwestern. Chronic. Yeah. Crops. Yes. How about that? To Jamaica of all places, right? So it's crazy. It's an island, right? And it's not, it's not the best because it's a very rocky island. It's not the best yeah. agricultural area for this particular product. Let's see here. Josh says you are citing those three of five businesses in California, fake licenses. Josh says Colorado, similar numbers yeah. for fake licenses. And then um, Sheldon has some other comments here. I think we're going to have to get Greg and Sheldon teed up for a show. He says weed is good. And he says these GMO weeds are a lot stronger than the natural weed that we have in Jamaica. It's true. This is man, I'm I'm getting like a full blown. I think we're all getting a full blown uh, cannabis education here. Greg, your comment? Even natural weed is stronger than it used to be because they've bred it to be so. But what he's talking about, um, they call designer weed, and that mm-hmm. is where people do they do a GMO technique to create a super weed. And the claim is one weed is to make you powerful one weed is to make you calm one weed is to make okay. you this or that or the other thing but the truth is i have not partaken of any of this weed so i can't say for myself but i have consulted some experts yeah on <laughs> on consumption and these experts and uh, believe me they are experts <laughs> i think we all probably went to school with some experts in our in our journeys right uh these experts are absolutely certain that most of those claims of those designer weeds are completely false. So, and there's no way to trace it these days. Right, right. Are you ready for an on the other hand? Oh, please. Yeah, please. Yeah. This is on the other hand, and this is the way I look at it, because the wolf does not concern himself with the opinions of the sheep. So on the (laughs) other hand, there is opportunity for those who are unimpaired, right? Because I believe that Colorado is a great example of this, and I've seen it firsthand. I've heard it anecdotally, and I've seen it firsthand. It reduces the pool of cognitive individuals who could be legitimate competition in any business environment. I don't I don't mean just in the weed industry, because by the way, I don't participate in any way in the cannabis industry yeah. now. Yep. But um, entire states like Colorado and California have seen a degradation of cognition um, and so it reduces the people that could effectively compete against you in, in, in the business. Now, the other thing is that on federal legislation, which is when the real money, the smart money, the big money, the Blackstones, um, and some of these other companies will start to come in, uh, in on it, the big corps w- will gobble up the remaining survivors, of which there will be very few because they are burning to the ground really fast. So the survivors will make bank. They'll make bank. They'll make a multiple. They may be so far in debt by that time as to only keep them out of prison, but they Mm. will make a pretty good multiple at that time. And the unimpaired will continue to feed on the consumers of the product to make money. There will be all kinds of opportunities to make money off stoners, just like there always have been. But when legal, more people, it is absolute fact that more people do, do partake in, uh, in the devil's lettuce. That's my that's my favorite term for it. Right now. <laughs> favorite term for it, right? So, and, and this is the thing that I I want to close with, Scott, and then I'll just okay. you know we'll let the conversation go wherever it does. Look, th- in truth, 
This is a greed play by the government to accomplish two things. One, to gain the favor of what Paul's political polls, whatever you call them, political operatives call the useful idiots who will vote for politicians that favor legalization. And that's their term, not mine. Right, right. And increasing tax revenue, weed and now psychedelic tax schemes. Just imagine the world on mushrooms um, (laughs) are in the 10 to 47 percent of sales range. 47 percent in Washington. Right. It's three hundred dollars an ounce for weed, which is an incredibly high price to begin with. And and roughly. 47% of that is going straight to taxes, straight to the government. So Mm. all of you out there who think you are subversives and, and think you're bucking the system and sticking it to the man way to give the man a big paycheck. (laughs) All right. All right, man, this this has been eye opening as I knew it would be because a lot of folks have no, they may have an inkling of a shred of what you shared there. But man, this has been, this really mind blowing. I am going to get absolutely inundated from people I know, both know and don't know yeah. letting out some well, of those dirty little secrets, but I don't care. It is what it yeah. is, right? Everyone knows, everyone in the industry knows, yep. except for those, what did I call them? Delusional. Yes. Except for the, uh, yeah, all unenlightened, Pollyannish delusional. Yes. Well, Sheldon offers up a rule. He says, don't get high on your own supply. Rule number one. Yeah, man. He's seen seen Scarface. Yeah, I love that. Um, Okay. Uh, Man, we have really run the gamut here today uh, on the supply chain buzz. So, Greg. That took a long time, didn't it? I didn't think that part of the conversation was going to be that long. And we're still probably scratching the surface from what else you could share. Um, But I really think that should be eye-opening. Uh, especially of, a, of an industry that even if everything you shared, even if folks, you know, are not going to make a dime, it's still, you know, the demand to your one of your points is going to continue growing as more and more states pass legislation that opens up to new markets. Um, and that $34 billion, who knows? It doesn't necessarily open a particular company to new markets. Let's just be clear. Oh, okay. It opens right. up the entirety of a new market. For instance, Delaware now will be able to have recreational outlets, recreational dispensaries. Now, some I believe Delaware was a medical state yeah. before. Um, so some of those will convert into medical. Georgia, gotcha. by the way, is going to become a medical state, yeah. medical marijuana state. Okay. I thought you'd mentioned, when I was thinking of new markets, I thought you'd mentioned that when it becomes legal, uh, I thought you said something like folks folks tend to be more apt to try it and buy it and whatnot. Did you say that? Oh, yeah. Grandmas, okay. grandpas. I have <laughs> been to what they call MJ BizCon a number of times, which is the annual conference. And this is another ironic thing. If you okay. don't think the baby boomers are running the weed industry, you have got your head up your pipe. <laughs> um Here's an interesting take from Olabi. And Olabi, great to have you here today. He says cannabis is illegal in Nigeria, but it finds its way into the country from Canada. Again, who'd have thunk? Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to be a big business out there. I've read about cannabis oil used for medical purposes. This must have been achieved through lab uh, labs and academic research. Nope. I don't know. Greg? It was not. No? Nope. 
Okay. All right. We're, we're going to have to have a, we're going to take a deep dive into this industry. It is not. In fact, that's a big issue in the industry as well, which is whether CBD oil, which is less than 0.3% THC, yeah. has any effect or whether it's completely a placebo effect. THC is completely unregulated, meaning someone could say they're putting 12% THC in there, but they may not be. Okay. All right. Well, hey, uh, folks, man, what a great, Greg, thank you, by the way, uh, for your takes here today, especially in that last story. Uh, folks, I want to encourage y'all, uh, before we wrap here today, again, check out, with that said, uh, it, it is just this latest edition, it's just as wide-ranging as the Today Show. Um, in fact, one of the things we touch on there for some of our listeners and viewers that may be at uh, Gartner Supply Chain Symposium uh, this week, uh, Kara Kose offers up some tips for uh, if you're a first-timer, perhaps, how you can make the conference more successful. Greg, I know mm-hmm. you've been there plenty of times. Uh, we were there last year, as a matter of fact. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of good stuff coming. And we're going to get an update, um, I think, next Monday from our dear friend, Constantine, who's down there at uh, the Supply Chain Symposium. He's going to be bringing key takeaways back, Greg. So right. It should be a, a great show next week. Huh? Can't wait to hear. I, I mean, I think... Now that you're back in, we're back in person. This thing, I know they they did it before, but um, it feels like this year, you know, they're going to have a lot more uh, attendance. So, yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, all right, folks, that's where we've got to leave it here today. But I want this one to wrap with Greg. I had a great call last week with a dear friend. We can't name any names, uh, but this is an award-winning chief supply chain officer for a company that is on the move big time in retail. A very big footprint. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the very poignant things he shared with me, Greg, last week on a private call was how now that we're all in the post-pandemic era, right, firmly with both feet, both hands, you know, everything, how that's taken some of the pressures we saw for, you know, I'll call it two years off the impetus to drive change. Yeah. And that was one of his top concerns, right, of how the industry's got to keep driving for change and 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 resist all urges to do business like we did in the past. No backsliding. Yes. No backsliding. Thank you, Greg. And that really, uh, that was one of part three or four conversations uh, that we had had kind of on the private side. And, um, you know, clearly that's something keeping up some of our supply chain leaders up at night. Uh, Unlike some of the other, I'll call traditional leaders that are clinging to 1982 we'll pick on that year and we can't do that no so greg your last thought here along this no backsliding uh idea and then i'm gonna wrap the only reason we got away with our old techniques and our lack of discipline and lack of accountability and lack of metrics and supply chain before because nobody knew who we were back then (laughs) right they didn't know what supply chain was and all of us can verify it from any cocktail party that we ever went to when as soon as you said the word supply chain, people's eyes glazed over and they went and found somebody more interesting to talk to. Right. Now it's something of interest. It is, as you, as you say, what's been seen cannot be unseen, right? I can't unsee that. And now we are in the forefront, whether we want to be or not, you are risking your work life balance, your work life and your balance and potentially your company by backsliding. Because the main thing that has changed, we talk about all the time, all these new disruptions and all this thing. Look, we've we've worked through wars before. We've worked through mm. heavy weather before. Hell, ships have even gotten stuck in the Suez Canal before. And you know why nobody knew it? 
because nobody gave up back then. So <laughs> the difference is that people care about supply chain and, and you cannot exist in the shadows anymore. Mm, mm. Beautifully said. Uh, great challenge to everyone out there as we wrap. I'm glad we have five second delay. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Uh, no, folks need to hear it. And and I love you throwing that gauntlet down, just like I loved hearing that from uh, 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 who I spoke to a couple t- couple times last week. Uh, folks, we got to lean in, mm-hmm. lean in, got to lean into the, um, uh, the the friction that is driving change, all the pushback, all the but uh, but this, we've always done it this way. Uh, but but the pandemic's gone. We can right. we can go back to the easy. Folks, got to tune all that out. Blessed are those that are driving change in this new environment because this is the environment. So with that said, preach it, brother. Hey, that's right. Uh, deeds, not words. Right. Take some of this insights that we've shared over the last hour, all the goodness that Greg brought here today and take action. Right. Your team is crying out for it for sure. Right. Let's empower them to, to be more successful than they've ever been before. Join us Thursday, 12 noon Eastern time. It'll be a great conversation. Most importantly, Greg, on behalf of our entire team here, and by the way, and growing team, we should give a yeah. shout. We should have started the show. Tyler Ward. That's right. Big shout out to Tyler Ward, who uh, joined us officially here today. Can't wait. We should share his LinkedIn profile. Can't wait. He's going to help us spread more good news and shout it from the mountaintops and hopefully help a lot more folks as we look to help support the changing of an industry. So with that said, folks, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that is needed. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.